0: Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? British family on a yacht cruise stumbled upon Site B. And now it's only a matter of time before this lost world is found and pillaged. Hopefully, we've kept this island quarantined and contained, but I'm in shock about all this. Wow! Everything's no. great? Ooh, wow. Ah. It so always starts, but then later they're running and then screaming. What the hell was that? Go as fast as you can.
1: I need you to send rescue immediately.
0: Taking dinosaurs off this island ah! is the worst idea in history of bad ideas. Let's get this movable beast on the way. Don't move. What is it? Mommy's very angry.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spataro, and once again, I am joined by my buddy, J. David Weider. It's like I never leave, Paul. It is. I, I should just <laughs> add, add an extension onto the house, and, uh, you and you and Holly and the puppy can come down here and stay with us. Well, I like where this is going. <laughs> and then, yeah, You know what? Uh, by the time we're done will be significant other lists because we'll be podcasting so much, so I don't know that that's such a great idea. Just call it our podcast paradise. Yeah, that's very much what it would be. But today we are doing the second part of our Jurassic series, taking a look at the 1997 film, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, which most people, you know, just look at as Jurassic Park 2, which is kind of what I think of it as, even though I know that's not the title. Um... And we were just talking before we started to record. And the reality of it is this movie makes a liar of me because it's got Steven Spielberg directing it and it's got giant dinosaurs with great special effects. What's not to love? I always say, if you give me a movie with giant dinosaurs, you don't even need a plot because I'm going to be there and I'm going to be ready to go. But I guess that's not quite exactly it. I think you need a little bit better of a plot than this. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so just to, to jump into it, this one picks up, I think it's four years after the first movie. Four or five. Uh, and we have Ian Malcolm as our main character, and I think that's probably one of the problems. As much as I enjoy Jeff Goldblum, he, I don't see him as a lead in this movie. I don't really accept him as the lead in this movie. Uh, his character is better on the sideline as an agitator instead of being the leading man. But it is what it is. He, uh, there's a second island that Hammond has created uh, that has the dinosaurs running free without any interference. And I believe it's Hammond's nephew is looking to scoop up those animals and create a zoo on, in the United States. Uh, and all bedlam cuts loose, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Is, that a, is that a fair synopsis of That's it? a pretty good synopsis, yeah. And and they do give you the one hook that I would probably have said if you know if you if you put us into the, the room to to start you know giving some ideas as to where we should go with this movie, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure you know almost everybody would say hey what if one of you know what if you bring a T Rex back to the mainland, and and let it get free there you know almost the King Kong kind of thing, uh, and that's what they do in here. And like I said, that should be enough of a hook for me right there. Yeah, and it was, I'm going to confess something,
1: after the original Jurassic Park, Tops, uh, who did normally did trading cards, they did the comic book sequel called Return to Jurassic Park that I thought was atrocious, so I started writing my own sequel because I thought I could do a better job. Mm-hmm. And some of the yeah. things I don't like about this movie ended up being part, and, and, and again, this was 93 still, it, right. it ended up seeing it on the screen like, oh, that doesn't work at all.
2: Well, so I guess you know that's a good perspective to see that things that in, in your imagination seem good don't always translate well to the big screen. And now you're giving, you know, assuming your ideas were similar, you're having these similar ideas, and you have Steven Spielberg putting them on the big screen, and they're not working. Yeah. Well,
1: so, you know, it, it says a, a lot.
2: Mine included a, a spot in the San Diego Zoo with
1: Velociraptors, San Diego, which is where the 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 T Rex runs amok. I should, mm-hmm. I should get a co-writing credit for this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, you, your problem is you just make these ideas too public without getting any sort of copyright on them. Yeah, well, where I was in the 90s, putting things out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the first part of this that I'll say doesn't work is I'm not really thrilled with the casting. I didn't think there was any chemistry at all between Jeff Goldblum and Julianne Moore, both no. of whom I consider to be fine actors. Yeah, I was going to say they're both great, but they do not work together. They don't ever strike me as a couple. No, even though that's what they're presented as. the The one who I thought gave the best performance, and I don't see off the top of hand her name, is the the uh, the young girl who plays Jeff Goldblum's daughter, Vanessa thought, Chester. Is her? I thought Jackson's she gave name. a good performance. Mm-hmm. Right, and, after and she you started doing uh, gymnastics. Yeah, well, that's that's part of the plot that I think is <laughs> just so forced in there. Uh, but eh, we'll get there in a mo in a few minutes. Uh, she plays Jeff Goldblum's, I guess, illegitimate daughter, uh, and she sneaks along for the ride to this. Is it Isla Sorba? Yes, Sorna, Sorna, Sorna. And uh, sh- you know she's there for Jeff Goldblum to protect, along with Julianne Moore, who really. You know, is just, is is a strong character unto herself, and doesn't really need him there to protect her so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna say one of the first things about this, or one of the things after the casting, that I'm I don't like is it just seemed very convenient when the life threatening situations would happen that they always seemed to have the time to get out of it, whereas everybody else was, you know. You know, the T-Rex is running amok. It's just grabbing people and throwing them. The uh, Velociraptors are just killing, you know, right and left. But, like, when the Velociraptors attack, for example, uh, they seem to have the time to run away, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and the, and, and the, the raptor's going to give them some time to do that. When when they have the, the baby T-Rex, and we're giving away, you know, part of the plot. I'm assuming a movie that's over 20 years old. People kind of have an idea of what the story is. When they're running with the baby uh, T-Rex the The full-grown T Rex is right behind them. They run through one building, and all of a sudden, they have all sorts of time to get to the boat where they're <laughs> bringing him. You know, there's things like that that happen that just don't really make sense. Or even, even as you say, the gymnastics moment. You know, uh, Goldblum's daughter in the movie is supposed to be a gymnastic student, and just as a Velociraptor is about to pounce on Ian, uh, she says, "Hey, look over here!" And she does like a uh, a flip and a, and, a, and a swing and kicks him off the uh, edge of this thing that he's on and he ends up getting impaled. There's a, an awful lot of time, first of all, just the fact that she calls out to him and makes him turn around, isn't that giving him a chance to be in a defensive position and maybe ruining what she's trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that was the worst
1: part of this movie. Like in the theater, I distinctly remember going, oh God, why is this happening? I felt like
2: I walked into Jim Cotter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I understand that reference. Unfortunately, I, I, you know, I never saw that movie, but I did see Coming Attractions, and I just remember that they're they're fighting like in an open area, and there's these stone things that just happen to be like a gym horse that he starts flipping around on mm-hmm. to be yes. replaced. Yes, and I just thought, oh god, it, it looks like a Saturday Night Live commercial. But wait, this is not a Jim Carter episode. Mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think of who else i liked in the cast i kind of like Pete, Pete postlethwaite as yeah, the, gonna, uh, as go. the main hunter mm-hmm. uh he he reminded me very much of i can't even remember who the main guy was last time who was the the Muldoon. the game yeah. warden Muldoon i i thought there was a, a lot of similarity just in the general presentation of the two not so much in the appearance but just the you know the brusque nature and the uh and and the you know the the competency for the most part yeah, and and that actor, I mean Pete Postlethwaite, you will never see a bad performance.
1: Well, he's no longer with us, but in his repertoire, there's not a bad performance.
2: I do remember hearing an interview with Harry Connick Jr., and I don't remember what movie he was talking about, but he was in a movie with Pete Postlethwaite. And he said, you know, he's I'm in there and I'm doing my best and I think I'm doing this great job. And he says, Pete Postlethwaite pulls me aside one day and just says to me, "What the hell are you doing?" And he straightened me out and he told me, gave me like like a quick acting lesson. He says, and I I can't tell you how much I learned in like five minutes of him telling me how to handle a scene. Yeah, and and and, and that's I I agree with you. You you don't you never see a bad performance out of him. Uh, He's he's one of the oh that guys. Mm -hmm. because not everybody knows his name, but when you see him, you're like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy before. Probably one of the most,
1: uh, the two biggest ones would be um, Romeo and Juliet, the Baz Luhrmann movie, which I recently resaw in the theater, and he was fantastic in it. And, well, this one would be kind of known, but um, Inception was probably the most recent one.
2: The other other one that I think is pretty memorable was that he was uh, the lawyer in The Usual Suspects. Yes. Still a classic movie. I don't like the
1: director of that movie. But I love that
2: movie. A lot of people don't like the director of that movie. Yeah. In fact, uh, it's pulling the curtain back a little bit. We're recording this the day after the Academy Awards, and I was talking to some younger people about, you know, oh, which, which you know, what movie do you want to win? And when Bohemian Rhapsody came up, people were like, I don't want that to win because Brian Singer had a hand in it.
1: Mm-hmm. And everybody avoided addressing Brian Singer in their acceptance speeches. So, but hey, just as a follow up on a previous episode we did with Ryan Daly, "Into the Spider Verse" best animated feature,
2: mm-hmm. deservedly so. So, <laughs> Lost World, yeah, Lost World, <laughs> Lost World, yeah. I'm trying to bring us back. And you know, the thing about this is, I you know, I rewatched it like I always do for today's broadcast or today's recording. And as I was watching it, I'm trying to be critical of it from a Viewing point of point of view, but I'm also trying to see if I can get myself immersed in it. And there were moments where I did, and I think you know Steven Spielberg. Even a bad Steven Spielberg movie is pretty well directed. Uh, and I don't even I don't even want to go as far as to say that this, this is a bad Steven Spielberg movie. This is just a subpar Steven Spielberg movie. Is I think a better way to say it. He still knows how to put a scene together. He knows how to have it edited. He knows, uh, you know, how to how to frame the shots and he's got John Williams doing the scores so and and you know the ILM doing the uh, special effects so there's only so wrong you can go with all of that and there are definitely scenes in this where where I enjoyed it and I and I was able to immerse myself into it but I think part of the problem is I kept pulling myself out and I think one of the reasons is I kept looking at the cast and seeing them for who they are and not the actors that they were playing I didn't feel uh, again, I didn't feel the chemistry between the two main characters. I also didn't feel Vince Vaughn in the character. No, in, and this was in, in, a, in the role. Oh, sorry. No, go this, ahead. This was a weird spot in Vaughn's career when he was actually moving
1: into mainstream. In '95, he had been in Batman Forever as an assistant and gotten cut out. But this is where Vaughn started getting seen for mainstream movies, and it's a very awkward role for him. He almost is too old for the character he's playing, or looks too old. I don't think he actually was, but. He did not feel quite right.
2: Well, Vince Vaughn was born in 1970, so at the time this movie was made, he was in his mid-20s. Okay, that's not too far off. But he looks older. He's always looked older. Yeah, he does. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's one of the biggest problems with this is that you never really latch onto the characters and care. Even Ian Malcolm... For whatever reason, I never truly felt he was in danger of getting killed, Mm-mm. and I didn't care if anybody else did. No, not really.
1: In fact, the one death that affected me was Richard Schiff's character, because he got killed trying to save them, mm-hmm. uh, as they're in the uh, 2.0 a T-Rex attack, Mobile.
2: Right. Yeah, and you know the, the other thing about it on the positive end is, uh, you know, they played a little bit with the special effects... Uh, You got to see the baby T-Rex, which was presented fairly believably. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got to see the compies. Finally. Only they're not anything like what I pictured based on reading Crichton's book. When when I read Crichton's book, and I don't know if my impression of them was based on the way he described them or if it was purely just my imagination creating an image, but I had them as probably about the size height-wise that they were, but I had them much rounder in my mind. Yeah, he kinda mentioned them they were similar to chickens. Yeah. That's it, that. uh, yeah, actually now I remember that. He did say that. So I kinda pictured like a much bigger, broader chest on them than what we got. Uh what we what we got was almost like the Geico Gecko. Yeah, that's a very good example.
1: But they so, ended up being terrifying. That was one of the most cringe worthy scenes in the whole movie.
2: And that's another problem with it. <laughs> it's yeah you know, uh Spielberg usually can be a little bit more elegant in the way he's portrayed his violence i'm thinking of jaws mm-hmm. uh and, and i'm thinking of the first jurassic park movie in this one he he showed some scenes that did make you cringe a little bit more and that made you you know want to look away and that isn't really his style that i'm used to at least uh like when when the copy i forget what the character's name is the 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 one that the copies end up getting at the end. But when there's the one, like, latching onto his lip and he pulls it off. That's the one.
1: Yep, that's the one.
2: (laughs) That's a very cringeworthy moment. Find yourself digging your nails into the the couch cushions. (sighs) Uh, Another thing that that he did in this that made me uncomfortable, and I remember when we did our review of Jaws back in, you know, one of the the first, the second episode ever of this show, uh, we talked about how he killed the dog Pippet, but he did it He did it in a way where you felt bad that the dog died, but you didn't really have a lot of emotion attached to it by the time you got to it, because there had been a whole scene on the beach and everything in between. The pacing of it kind of let you ease out of that. But in this one, they have the dog barking at the T-Rex, and the dog is tethered to his, his doghouse, and very shortly afterwards you see the T-Rex... With the chain in his mouth and the doghouse hanging down, obviously having just eaten the dog. And the kid is looking
1: at it. That's the worst part. The kid is seeing that.
2: I found it very bothersome. Yeah, that still bothers me. So there are moments in this movie that just seemed unspielberg-like to me. And again, it's not a matter of the shot and how he saw it and everything. It may have more to do with the writing than it does with the directing. But I just always expect something superior from Spielberg, and I didn't really feel like I got it in this movie.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very weak script, because if you look at the first one, everything flowed naturally. And that was come came down to script and probably some editing. In this one, it's, it's sequential. We're going to get E into the island. Oh, here's this T-Rex attack. Oh, here are the bad guys showing up to capture the, the dinosaurs. And now we're in San Diego. It's so segmented.
2: It does not flow naturally at all. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think you needed... You know, Ian Malcolm is an agitator. You needed somebody there for him to agitate. Mm-hmm. Someone who was in a position of authority. Not just throwing wise-ass comments out to his girlfriend or his daughter. Well, so I was, was going to ask before we jump too far had, Did you read the book at any point? The Lost I World? did. Okay. I did. When it first came out, I read it. I, I don't have a very specific memory of the details of the book. Mm-hmm. But I do remember... That I liked it, but I was not as enamored with it as I was with the first one the first one was a page turner
1: yeah this one was uh, forgettable this book yeah and
2: I, I luckily it, I read it after I saw the movie so I didn't judge the movie by the book this time I I don't like again I don't have a, rem- a very strong memory of the specifics so I don't recall what they changed and how they changed it which is probably better usually usually those when those comparisons come up in your mind it's because you're disappointed because they changed something yeah. It's very, very rare that you think, oh, they changed that, and I'm glad they did. <laughs> that, that doesn't usually occur.
1: Well, I know they combined characters because there were two kids that stowed away, his daughter and her friend, and they combined that into one character, which wasn't bad. And there was more done with the high hide that they had, the elevator, but I don't remember anything else specific about the book. It was very forgettable, which is, I mean, this was something where I think Crichton and Spielberg kind of did it, not under duress, but to placate the studio and the publisher.
2: Yeah, even, I, I, I got that feeling as well.
1: Well, Spielberg even said in an interview at that time that this was his way of giving the, the Universal Studios their E.T. 2, because he was never going to make a sequel to E.T., but this he could make a
2: sequel to. And I think this... Well, I was going to say something really stupid. I was going to say, I think this is the only sequel he ever did, but then I the rated of the Lost Ark series. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about those two. <laughs> <laughs> but it, with the exception of that, which... I think is almost almost stands as an exception. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think there were any other sequels that he did. I can't think of any. So, uh, and there was I, I guess there was no question he wasn't coming back for Jurassic Park three after this. But you yeah. know, I I respect the fact that with the exception of Indiana Jones, who you know Indiana Jones is a creation of Lucas and Spielberg and Harrison Ford. I'm going to give them all three credit for turning the character into what they did. Uh, so I, I see that as, as just a, like I said, a, a, that's an exception. But other than that, I see Spielberg as the type who wants to come in, create something, make something epic, and then turn around and walk away. He doesn't want to get involved with been there, done that. And I think this film is an example of why. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: he's also, I mean, let's not forget it. he's a, he's a phenomenal director. He is an artistic director. He's also a commercial director. Not that he directs television commercials or anything like that. He directs movies to sell. It's not all about the art. This is something he wants to put out to you know mass media. And he doesn't, I mean, with the exception of the Indiana Jones, which, like you said, it's an exception. This is, I double-checked his IMDb, this is the one exception. And it happened to be, at that time, the highest-grossing, the sequel to the highest-grossing movie of all time. So I can see where he would be getting a lot of pressure. And he'd been getting a lot of pressure for several movies. This was him acquiescing, and I think we got a muddied project uh, product because of it.
2: And I think this might be one of these cases where they said, oh, you know you have this pet project that you really want to do that isn't really all that commercial. So if you want to do that, do this for us, and then we'll let you do that. Mm-hmm. And whatever that may have been. I, I couldn't even tell you in the timeline if, if that was... I don't even want to say something because I may be totally wrong. Well, the next uh, movies
1: in sequence that he had directed was Amistad and Saving Private Ryan. Either one of those could have easily been. Amistad came out shortly after this.
2: I think so, it could be. Amistad might be the because that was not really a big. Uh, there, there wasn't really a big public relations commercial push for that either. No. Whereas Saving Private Ryan, there was. Yeah. Now it could be when they saw the the final the finished product of Saving Private Ryan, they said, "Oh, we got to push this." Or it could be that you know that was always intended to be a, uh, a big deal. Yeah. Amistad seemed a little smaller in its scope. So that may have been the movie that, that Spielberg wanted to make, if my speculation has any merit whatsoever. Yeah. So we would definitely, definitely going on out on a limb there, because I have no idea if, <laughs> if that's what he was looking for. Uh, this, I guess, in theory, does kind of close out the story. You know, the it, it, it opens it up, I, like I, said, I, th- I think it's a little forced to all of a sudden say, and it was the same thing in the novel, all of a sudden, oh, there's this second island we didn't tell you about already. Yeah, I was, uh, that was something I was
1: definitely going to mention, that it's all a matter of convenience, and that's in the book as well, mm-hmm. because they specifically stated at the end of the first book, two things for one, one is the island was firebombed, it was destroyed, the original island, which wasn't mentioned in the movie, so it wasn't. the book definitely wasn't designed for a sequel. Let's also mention the book that Ian Malcolm had died now luckily, that was second hand, but he still managed to come back,
2: yeah, well, so Hammond died also, so you know he yeah. he's still hes still alive in this though, but not in the book in this yeah he
1: he he and uh the two kids made like a cursory appearance, and it felt shoehorned
2: it felt very shoehorned yeah well and, and certainly the kids didn't need to be in this. I guess that's just to show, you know, hey, look, they're alive, they're well, and they seem well-adjusted now. You know, they're, they're not, you know, basket cases because of what happened on the first island. No, thankfully. <laughs> you, I would be. No question I would be. In fact, I, I was close to it after watching this movie. <laughs> so, but, I'm, you know, I'm not really sure where else to go with this, only because... It's just you know, it, it feels it does feel a little forced. Uh now that said the budget was seventy three million dollars and the box office is listed at six hundred and eighteen million. So it certainly didn't hurt for uh for attendance. No. But I do remember the word of mouth being negative on it. Now this this would be in the you know I guess it was the internet back then, but it wasn't widespread yet. Not to the point where uh where people would be you know getting word of mouth out through that it would have just been you know mostly talk you know this is an era where there was still newspapers yes <laughs> and i was talking about that the other day to just go off on a tangent do you yeah. remember when the newspapers used to have the movie section yeah and oh, it would yeah. have the, the you'd have the picture from each movie and then underneath it it would list what theaters it was playing at and what time and yeah and you'd have kind of the grid pattern oh yeah i remember that's how you Well, what time? You know, that's how you figure out what you were going to go see. Yeah, (laughs) I miss I miss that. I don't know. I guess it's just nostalgia because there's really no need for it now. But I miss that. Mm. Well, you'd buy a paper just to figure out what was playing and when. Mm -hmm. And the the Friday paper was one of the big ones for me because that's when the new movies would open, and you'd see what the reviews were on them, and you know, Mm -hmm. what what you wanted to go see. You know, and the multiplex was two theaters. The good old days. Well, you know, just uh, to to kind of go on it.
1: Not, a, not necessarily a tangent, it's related. I was working at Burger King at the time this movie came out. Well, I wasn't working there, I just loitered there a lot. I'd worked there for a while, I was tight with the crew, so I ate there a lot, for free. They had Jurassic Park kids' meals. And they also, through their music, would play the score, which I want to get to in just a second, too. But one day on a dare, one of the displays had a giant T-Rex head, cardboard. In busy, you know, dinner rush, just a mess with the manager, I decided I'm going to walk in and walk out with that T-Rex. And did. No problems. Thinking I'm going to get a call at any moment to bring it back. Come on. Never got a call. I had that thing for years. So I used to have a full-on T-Rex. I mean, it was a fairly big one. Cardboard T-Rex head before my girlfriend made me throw it out years later.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You probably get a good dollar for that on the open market now. Yeah. (laughs) Part of a a display. But you mentioned the score. You know, John (laughs) Williams. You can't go too wrong with John Williams. The negative about the score is it's pretty much the same score as we got in the first movie
1: no um having heard it on the muzak so much because i worked overnight for a while at burger king i was kind of the night janitor there so i'd hear the muzak on and on and on he built on the score a little bit yeah for the most part there's a base that's the same score he added some i don't know how to describe it more tribal elements drum elements to it
2: and i guess that's what we heard during like the hunting scenes Mm -hmm. so he added to it it's
1: not It doesn't break the bank. I mean, all the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies use the same base theme, but he did try to do something different. Do I think that was completely successful? To me, no. It didn't have that same feeling, but I appreciate that he did try to add to it.
2: All right. Well, we'll give him credit for that. And the guy is a master. So I just, you know, I know he was going around doing some, uh, some concerts and, I, I didn't get to see him whenever it was that he was in New York because, whenever that was, was before I realized he, it, I, he, that he was doing it. So I hadn't been looking for him. But if that if I if that ever came around again, I think I'd go see that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, someday we're gonna. I mean, we're not gonna have him. It's gonna be terrible. Yeah. You'd regret exactly. That. And that's that's why if the chance comes up, I want to see it when I can. And what I do like about it, and again, this is off to a little tangent, but I only have so much to say about this movie. Um. <laughs> When we were at Universal Studios the last time, I was pointing out to my children the John Williams themes. We were by the Jurassic Park area. We were by the Harry Potter area. We were by—I'm trying to think what else there was. There were a few things there. King uh, Kong. Did he did King Kong? No, you.
1: Uh, oh, I see. You were talking about the music. I thought you were talking yeah. about the area you were in. But yeah, you go. From no, I was Kong. talking about
2: the different John Williams themes. We were at, by E.T. Uh, and I, I was pointing out to them the the different John Williams themes and I mentioned that he does these concerts and both of my kids who were obviously significantly younger were uh, saying oh yeah we'd we'd love to go see that oh man which I just I just like <laughs> that younger people could have that appreciation
1: yeah me too I was I was afraid where this story was going they'd they'd be like who Oh, that would kill no, me. No, when,
2: when I when I started rattling off the movies, and I mentioned you know those, and I mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I mentioned Star Wars, and I mentioned uh, Superman, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we would definitely want to go see that," because mm-hmm. they know all those, you know, just about anybody who loves movies knows those themes. Yeah. Oh so yeah. You, you definitely appreciate, you know, what when when it comes up and you hear it, and it and it fills you with those images. And I think during the concert, they'd actually have a movie screen behind them, and they were showing images from whatever movie score he was playing so that would be you know kind of cool too but again i digress and i'm going to just take us right to the question now i think think you've nailed it on the head that we just don't have a lot to say on this no i I really honestly i don't i don't have that much to give you on this one because i don't think the movie gave me that much to talk about yeah i think that's the problem uh but is it yours it's not jaws i would put it at a mid-level jaws 3 all right, we're pretty much in agreement. My thought process was there were moments when I was able to immerse myself in it and enjoy it. So it's not a bad movie, but it's not a movie that I would ever seek out. When, when I watch the Jurassic Park, when I'm in a Jurassic Park mood, I generally would go to the first one. And not to spoil what my reviews are going forward... I'm much quicker to go to 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 Jurassic Park three mm-hmm. or Jurassic World than I am to this. Yeah, so, I'm in the same boat. but
1: Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much because we're going to be discussing those down the road. Yes, in a, in a very just to tease
2: it in a very neat way. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, you and and you know more to come on that. But uh, we wanted to get we wanted to do this one before we get to those because we wanted to do them in sequence and. I, you know, I wasn't that really excited about pulling this out and watching it again. Again, that said, there were moments in it I really enjoyed. I didn't mind Jeff Goldblum's performance. I thought the some of the special effects were well done. I thought some of the action sequences were well done. But the story that knitted it together wasn't very strong. Mm-hmm. And it does go against what I said because I said you don't need a strong story if you're giving me giant dinosaurs and they're running on the screen looking real i said that's all i need but i was wrong i was wrong
1: well, i think what's worst about this movie is it is so mundane that i i don't want to tear it apart cuz it's not that terrible but i don't want to praise it cuz it's very not that good it's so middle of the road and that's not a that's not a Steven Spielberg film middle of the road is not something you ascribe to Steven Spielberg
2: now that you know i mean to be fair he's had movies that were less than terrific mm hmm uh, I, you know, I remember 1941 came out and that got kind of panned. I think that's unfairly ridiculed. I don't think it's nearly as bad as people make it out to be. I think Bad Steven Spielberg isn't a bad movie. I think Bad Steven Spielberg is a forgettable movie. Mm. Uh, I think of the movie Always with Richard was... Dreyfus and Holly Hunter. I thought it was forgettable. But uh, It's weird that we went to the exact same movie. <laughs> that's telling. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, you know... There's there's levels to different creators, and I think the worst Steven Spielberg could get is Jaws three. I don't think I don't think he's capable of making a Jaws four. No, oh no. But I'm gonna just we're gonna we have a fairly short episode here, uh, and I'm gonna call it a, a day on that. I'm gonna thank you for coming down, Dave, and discussing this one with me. Thank you for having uh, me. We will, as Dave mentioned, we will be doing Jurassic Park three and uh, Jurassic World, uh, but a little in a little bit of a different format when the time comes, and you'll see. So hopefully you look forward to that because I know I, know I, I, am. I am. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But uh, thanks everybody for listening in, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Well, you will. I won't. <laughs> I don't know. You're here often enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How's it? on. You
0: hear me? <laughs> Ah, uh, hello! Hello! If you can hear me, congratulations! Way to go! Way to go! You made it through! You made it through! You spent all that time, and now you're done! You did it! That's quite an achievement! Mike. My, my gosh! You, you looked a 20-foot carnivore right in the eye, and you've lived to tell about it! Well, you are something! Thank you! Thank you for, for sticking with it, for not giving up! That is really something! Now, you know what you should do? Turn the thing off, for, for for heaven's sakes, and go outside. You know, breathe the air, take a walk, call a member of the opposite sex. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you have a whole life life out there. Get the stink blown off you. Just just go, go really. Turn off. You. I mean really too. Okay. Hello, hello. Okay. I go. I go.